needle biopsy thing, they found out it was cancer. And so then some really odd things started. We started interviewing doctors. It's just crazy. I mean, they're giving us choices saying, you choose. We're going, no, you're the doctor. You choose. They're going, no, you have to be happy. We're going, what's happy? Alive is happy. So we're going to do that. And uh, so we're sitting in the doctor's office, and we're the first doctor, and you have to connect these doctors. They're all a team. You have to build your team. It's crazy. So it's, you've got to have God to do this. You will not make it. So we're sitting there, and we ask, I forget which one of us asked, well, what are the odds on all of this coming out right? The lady looked right in her eyes and said 60%. said 60% what? She said 60% chance of survival. And we looked at each other, and we looked at her, and we knew, we didn't do that. And our spirit, our God didn't tell us that. And then we knew we had a church full of people. <laughs> our God hasn't told them that. So we went out of there like, whoa, that's crazy, huh? But what happened was we came and told you. And we began our walk. And right now today, Darnell's cancer free. And therapy to go and she's going to be really good and 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 through this whole thing though when we called out to our church when we called out to you and we said brothers and sisters we need help we need your prayers we need your physical help we need this and that and then there was a time when Darnell's immune system crashed and I couldn't let anybody come around I know that was really frustrating for us a lot of people wanted to do something they couldn't so then you, you had this whole new task. You had to pray for us at a distance. And finally, the whole thing came together in the end. And so we walked through it. But what I want to thank you for is what you did. You are a Book of Acts church. I'm so proud of this little church. Because when you were pressed into service, you pressed right into the yoke. You did whatever you could. You said, what can I do for you? Over and over again, so many times we didn't... We couldn't, we couldn't accommodate all the help. But one of the things that we always knew, see, how, how cool is that? We couldn't accommodate all the help that was offered to us. But one thing we always knew through the whole thing was that you loved us, we felt you right by us, and we knew you were calling, you were emailing, you were texting, knocking on the door, you were bringing food, you were doing stuff. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you so much. And there's a couple of families that are not here that did all that too. And this is what builds family. This is what makes us brothers and sisters. This is what builds a body. So thank you so much. Amen. Amen. I'm not a big fan of the word church. It's what we're stuck with. It's what everybody <laughs> understands. So it's what we say. But in my view, this is a community of believers. Community meaning every person has a function and a place and we're all interacting with each other. A church is a dry old building you go sit in, you know. But as God taught it, as the Word teaches it, each one of you was drafted, especially to be here for a purpose. Isn't it good to have a big extended family? Oh, yes. Are we recording, John? Okay, then I won't say I love you much more than the other families that I have. But if I were going to say that, that's what I would say. <laughs> when you have no obligation except the blood of Jesus, then everything that happens, happens because you love Jesus and you love Jesus and your brothers. That is so much fun. Matthew and I found this out earlier. I mean, I, I love Jennifer because a lot of reasons. Initially attracted to her because she's hot. 
But Matthew and I became brothers uh, based on nothing but Jesus. And uh, it's one of the strongest relationships in my life because of that. This is what makes a church or a community strong. When Miss Mandy leaves, it'll be like a piece of us leaves. And I don't have to ask her. I know she feels the same way. You don't spend a decade of your life praying with people, striving towards the same goals, working to see Christ formed in each other without it really hurting. But it's mixed with joy. It's overwhelmed with joy because this is what she's been prepared to do, isn't it? I mean, this is this is God's plan for her life. Mandy, I put you on the spot. Is there anything you want to tell these people? Yeah, how about that? Stand up, Mandy. Go ahead and stand up, Mandy. It's the last time I can do that. body of believers. Uh, I've been here for eight, nine years, whatever, 2002, and um, you know... But you were in the prototype even in Louisiana for two years. That's right, I was. Um, And I know what it is to go out somewhere else, and uh, I'm going to be going into an environment, you know, where... (laughs) Thanks, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Take your time. This is your family. <laughs> you need to soak up the word. <laughs> I mean, you're going to get teaching that I promise. I promise. I would stake my life on it. That you're not going to get just anywhere else. And, and here's the thing. You can't just come get it from him every day. You have to be in a relationship with Jesus. You have to seek his word every day. You have to search for him. You need to be hearing from him. He should speak to you. You should know his voice. And you should encourage the leadership. You should speak to leadership out of love and and respect and with truth. You have to seek after Jesus on your own. Mm -hmm. And there's people in here who are going to help you do that. And I've been discipled. And it is important. I see a lack. You guys need to be discipled. If you're not being discipled, run. Run and find someone to disciple you. There are people in here who are jewels. valuable people everybody's valuable there are people who have been poured into <laughs> this this is my family <laughs> you think we can join our hands around her i didn't have to warn mandy that she was gonna speak and i don't have to worry about what she's gonna say because i know what is in mandy I've been praying for her for years. Mighty God, we thank you for our sister. Lord, we know that this transition is of you. And we praise you for it. Mighty God, we thank you that you sow seed where you choose. Lord, we believe that she will fall on good soil. Lord God, that she's been prepared for this very purpose. We have confidence in your work in her. Holy One, we thank you for the harvest that will come from her life. We thank you for the lives that will be changed in other places. Lord, we ask that your glory would be magnified through the children that are obedient even when it hurts. Mighty God, we commit to you. Mandy Dine. 
We thank you for her life. Holy God, we cherish this time that we've had together. And we promise to do this again and again and again with as many precious people as you bring to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, if you were wondering what it's supposed to look like when you move from one church to another, that's it. It ought not be out the back door angry with the pastor in the middle of the night and not able to speak to uh, him or any of those things. This is how a transition is supposed to occur. And when they used to move letters, hmm, you actually had a letter from your pastor to the next pastor. These days, it's just a phrase. They don't say it. But you should be in a place where you have been so intimately connected with people that have confidence that it's God's will when you move on. Amen. Right? Amen. They're not fighting to retain you because the purpose was to release you. Right. Amen. Amen. Y'all stretch your hands towards Brother Mike. He's boiling with the word. He, he's got his notes squared away. Mike is an intense individual. Have y'all noticed that? <laughs> oh, I look over and every few seconds he's scribbling something new over there. I like when people take the calling of God seriously. Yes. So expect to get something tonight, okay? I mean, you listen for God's rhema for you tonight. He might address everybody in the room in different pieces of the message. You get what you're supposed to have tonight. And once you get it, own it. Live by it. Incorporate it. Make it part of your fabric. Don't ever let it go. Amen? Amen. Work it. Work it. Work it. Let's pray. Mighty God, we thank you for might. Holy One, we pray that the holy power of God would be upon him. That he would declare your truth and your mysteries. That it would flow out of his mouth even as your mighty prophets caused the Holy Spirit to flow from them. Lord God, we pray that you would use this vessel. That the soil of our hearts would be prepared to receive it. Lord, let your encouragement, your conviction, your rebuking and your correction be upon this group tonight. Lord, we love you and we want your word delivered from Mike to our ears. In the name of Jesus, we pray, we ask it, and we say thank you. Amen. 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 Okay, so if anybody was paying attention already tonight, by the time I'm done, you'll realize that the Holy Spirit here is already starting to point things out to us. He's already preaching my word. And um, sometimes you've got to push people off the stage. You see what we mean by time where we're done. Um, we, we've, already, uh, we've already had um, uh, prophecy, intimacy, and drama. Already. Before we even start. Uh, in the beginning, um, Eric said, uh, he said something to the fact of unleashing, what did you say? Unleashing something. Oh, somebody Here's said how that. I took it. Yeah. Unleashing the potential. And that, that's what the word, when you spoke earlier, before we started, that I got, was um, what is it that God places in us it's potential. And like Steve said, it's um, 
what Steve has experienced is the potential that was in people that they weren't afraid to, to lavish it on him. Um, now look at uh, Luke 17, 20. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Here. Wow. There. There. Luke 17:20 <laughs> says, Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. That is a massive potential God has placed in you. And that's what that's what the Spirit was saying through here before we even started. And what was Eric saying? Release, unleash the potential that God's placed in you. When, when God's placed that potential in you and something happens like a family is in need and all of a sudden you get flocks of other people coming to your doorstep, then no longer is the kingdom within you, it's now near you and all around you. And it's affecting everybody within your radius. Man, you are dramatic, and I need you to read this for me. <laughs> Revelations 12, 10 through 11, very short, but I want you to do it Revelation 10, what, 11? Revelation 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers has, who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurt They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. Good. Okay. Monday night Bible study, Eric pointed something out to me, probably without even knowing it. Um, and his teaching on um, as he was teaching on something else he touched on the fact that God's redemption plan um that the episode of the blood of the lamb had been complete. That Jesus paid um, paid for the sin of mankind and in doing so he excommunicated Satan from the throne of God and therefore he had no more has access to the throne as our accuser. Um, and, and so therefore the cross stands as an eternal testimony or and an eternal altar. Uh, for who, who, whosoever will. Well, in uh, Revelations 12, 11, it says that they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. What Eric said was that the blood of the Lamb was complete, but the testimony was incomplete. Our testimony. It's like God's writing uh, a book, right? We just think the canon's complete when it's not. Yeah, he called, maybe he calls it restoration through redemption. Um, it's funny, I wrote um, chapter 1, Jesus. The last chapter, 7, Jesus. 
chapters 2 through 6, the word of our testimony. Amen. Mm. He is the, what do you call it, the introduction and the conclusion. Author and finisher. And we are the body. Amen. Amen. <laughs> when you want to find out the details about him, you look at the body. So I believe uh, you and I are Revelations chapter 23, or the second revelation. Okay. <laughs> We're the new book of Genesis. In the beginning God created the new heaven and the new earth. Shalom reigned and the Son of God's covered the earth. That's what our chapter looked like. Um, there, was a, there was a time in my life where there was a, a dramatic event that happened to me. We grew, Jennifer and I grew up, and uh, we were what we called a thugged out type lifestyle. This is what we called it. Um, little ghetto children, I guess. <laughs> uh, well, through this lifestyle, uh, things like uh, dealing drugs and um, everything that your flesh can indulge in, after a while it takes over you. And, uh, and it makes you somebody hard, corrupted, wicked, really. Um, so there was so there was some um, extracurricular, maybe not so legal activities that happened in my life. Good bit. Um, a funny thing that Jennifer used to do. <laughs> She used to sing to me. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? And she would tease me with it. And she would taunt me with it. Because she knew something was in me. She knew that I lived a life looking over my shoulder. And that I was paranoid. All the time. And then and she would watch all the things that I do, and she was involved in too. She just didn't have what I had. So, <laughs> take anxiety turning into paranoia, it's not good. Well, <laughs> funny thing about, where's that, where's that song come from? Where do y'all know it from? Cops. Uh, Cops. <laughs> Gores. And then the, on the show Cops, um, who are the main characters? Cops. Okay, and? Perpetrators. <laughs> 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 All right, so on the show Cops, um, the main characters are, I call them the authorities and the bad boys. Um, and there's one thing, you don't get on this show unless you are part of the drama called Cops. <laughs> Uh, when I was 17, I was arrested, um, <laughs> and this this song came into play again. It's kind of where Jennifer derived this from, and uh, I haven't heard it much in a long time. <laughs> you got a new song now. All right. Um, <laughs> well. Okay, so let me paint the picture of the, the crime scene. No, <laughs> not the crime scene. <laughs> we did the crime and then got arrested somewhere else. 
All right, so it's me and five other, four or five other guys uh, in my car, and we pull up to a, a place to, uh, where one of the guys was staying, and we start unloading uh, unloading all these guns out of our vehicle, out of my car. And, um, well, my friend um, didn't bring his key, and he was staying at his other friend's house. It wasn't his house, it was somebody else's. So I had to climb through the window. <laughs> all right, so somebody across the street see us, Climbing through the window, comes over there and says, uh, oh, hey, you know, how you doing? Why are you climbing through a window? Oh, I forgot my key. Well, it just so happens to get a glimpse of us unloading guns into the house. <laughs> right. Well, in the town we lived in, the cops didn't have anything better to do, so they brought on the whole police force. <laughs> and so, uh, on that beautiful day, all of a sudden, we were surrounded by the entire police force. <laughs> So what happens? What normal thug life children do? They split. <laughs> you run to the east and all of a sudden cops are coming out of the woods. You run to the west and oh they're there too. And by the way they're in the north and the south. They're everywhere. And so you can't get away. And so you got guys running this way and then you see them running back at you. The guys running this way running back at you. Bam, here goes one to the ground. Cop, cops kicking him and stuff, right? Stay on the ground. <clears throat> Another one, he falls, gets tripped. And you hear, bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? One of the guys, he just, he just loves it, you know? It's just exhilarating to him. And he's singing while this is going on. I'm going, are you kidding me? So what's he getting is a good swift boot to the head. Shut up. Right? Oh. So that was that theme song in my life. The theme song of my early life. So the funny thing about being arrested was that I had to give up my rights. I had to give up my rights as well as my wrongs. Think about that. So I want you to uh, <coughs> follow me and think about this. What happened? The higher authority <coughs> came, and here's what I heard. Freeze. Get on your knees. Put up your hands in the air and surrender. Okay, at that moment, reality really kicked in. <laughs> I wasn't one of the ones running because it was my car, and I thought all of a sudden, yeah, that's just pointless. <laughs> Nonetheless, I was held accountable just like the rest. What came next was my battle for freedom. One step after the other. <laughs> court life. Jennifer was there. She was one, two years into knowing me. Yes. <laughs> Caught me a good one. <laughs> okay, so am I the only one in here with a dramatic encounter with the higher authority? No. No? No. No. Somebody give me an example. Um, waking Top up. Popcorn example. Waking, waking up and having um, five or six police officers with their guns pulled out. Anybody else? Yeah. 
suitcase in my there. <laughs> there. <laughs> You're no brother. Call the leadership. <laughs> <laughs> I had my hand zip tied behind me and put face down on went on high school's uh, floor and got arrested by the deputy. I saw the sheriff and did not see his dead. <laughs> Another song that defined our lives. Okay. All right, so my point was <laughs> you need to know that if you have not had a bad boy encounter with the higher authority who is God, then it may be that you're not even on the journey of salvation yet. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. But if you have, you're now qualified in chapter 3 of the book of life. Example. So my mom's here tonight. This is my mom. Good dad. Hi, mom. My mom's here tonight. She had a son at 15 years old. Raised him with no father around. Married an unbelieving man that had his heart set uh, against uh, what he thought was the things of God, but sits here over 30 years later and loves Jesus. My stepdad's here tonight. A man who took uh, the task of adoption on. Amen, amen. That's a badge to wear. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. That's awesome. With no godly direction, took on adoption. His whole life having views or viewed the things of God through the perspective of a counterfeit church. Amen. Until God intervened and removed every protective wall around him, health and everything else, stripped him in order to humble him so that he could receive what God had for him. You love Jesus? There it is. The drama. The drama being played out in man. So because of the lifestyle I lived and the terrible things Jennifer and I done to one another, I became self-indulged. Um... I had everything the flesh wanted, really. All the things you, you would want. Um, but that lifestyle left me bent and broken, mm -hmm. full of confusion, empty, until Jesus came and gave me everything <coughs> I never knew I needed. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Inside of me, there was a drama being played out. And guess what? It hadn't ended to this day. It's been dramatic, exhilarating, and all around life-giving for sure. So Jennifer and I are going on our 17th year together. Wow. That's awesome. Tomorrow, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And tomorrow will be our 10th uh, wedding anniversary. Hey. There's been drama. Huh? <laughs> There's been joy. Amen. 
There's been suffering. We've created slow motion moments. There's things that we'd love to forget. But there's things that we'll never stop talking about. If there has to be some something in our marriage, the one thing I'm proud of in our relationship is that after 17 years, we're still doing it together. Faithfulness. Failure has never been an option. It's never been crossed our mind. Why? Because we never let our trials define us. We've, we've learned that... Um, Daily trials do not make you who you are. They expose who you are. And to what measure you surrender your weakness or embrace the strength or strengths define who you are. And what, what I would call that day's drama. Each day brings its own. So I pray that when you look at uh, my family, that you would uh, that you would see God's mighty hand exposing our weaknesses to you. Why? Because it's you who's going to help us out in them. He's going to use you and you and you to refine me and my family. So, the things that I get right, I pray that you see me and my family wearing you out with them. <laughs> if I had to define the, uh, this journey of Jesus uh, with one word, I'd have to define it uh, with the word I, I found in the Greek that uh, they called epos, E-P-O-S. From that word, the... Um, the Greeks developed the word they pronounced epikaios, E-P-I-K-O-S. Epikaios was a Greek word um, they would use when they wanted to tell a grand story, paint a grand picture, <coughs> or when they would um, want to pass on an ancient folktale. <coughs> you probably uh, heard some of the older... Um, uh, older speakers, uh, Aristotle and Plato, passed on their myth Greeks, <coughs> myth Greek gods this way. Um, Homer wrote his Odysseys with Epikaios. Um, you probably heard of uh, some of the older uh, Mesopotamian writings. Um, the Greeks would have called it the Epikaios of Gilgamesh. Uh, the dramatic story of a king in a place called Uruk that would set out on a life's journey to find eternal life. <clears throat> in doing so, he comes to the revelation that it was appointed to man, man once to die and that eternal life was in the hands of the gods. Some of the oldest <clears throat> written language around. Uh, this word epikaios is the... Um, word I would most likely title this journey with Jesus as. Um, in English, we pronounce this word epic. <coughs> when I think of epic, I think of a movie today. I don't know why. 
Um, here's why I would define our walk with Jesus as an epic. Here's the uh, definition. I would write this if you're taking notes. An epic is a poetic plot. Underline that. Poetic plot. Ordinarily concerning a serious subject. Underline. Containing details. Underline details. Of heroic deeds and events significant to a culture or a nation. A poetic plot ordinarily concerning a serious subject containing details of heroic deeds and events significant to a culture or a nation. All those stories like uh, that. Yes, ma'am. After details, poetic plot ordinarily containing concerning a serious subject containing details containing details of heroic deeds and events significant to a culture or na uh, nation. Thank you. Um, also, uh, although the Epic of Gilgamesh uh, or the ancient uh, men like Plato and Homer are all dead, uh, we still have modern day epics played out in, um, in our movies, right? Uh, yeah, I think about um, Ben Hur, Lord of the Rings, Ten Commandments. Um, <clears throat> are, these are all epics. Yep. Um, and they shaped our way of thinking, if you think about it. Uh, so tonight's title is An Epic in Israel. If you get anything out of this tonight, I'd like you to um, walk away with a greater revelation of um, that you you gave your life away to the King of Kings and now are no longer what the Bible calls a mere man. I want you to understand that um, that you have now entered into what I would call the battle of epic proportions. <coughs> you have to excuse me with the water. But I shouldn't have been singing. <laughs> so if we're in a battle of epic proportions, we got to know that uh, that struggle is common in this tale. Um, but struggle is common because this is the evidence that you have been. Uh, that you have set your feet towards the journey to receive eternal life. And check this out. <clears throat> if epic is defined as a poetic plot, and you are part of it, and 1 Corinthians 21 says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive but each in turn. Christ the first fruits. then when he comes, those who belong to him. <coughs> then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom of God, the Father, the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. 
Now when it says that everything has been put under his under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. That's an epic. So if epic is defined as a poetic plot concerning a serious subject, then God's plan is poetry being played out in time. And his subject inside of time is salvation. And if an epic contains details of such heroic deeds and events, may it be referring to Mark 16, <coughs> 16, 17, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. <clears throat> they will place their hand on the sick, and they will get healed. Amen. You know what the acronym is? Yes. Write this acronym. An acronym you write. Write this one. E, space a little bit, P, leave a space, I, a little more space, C. You're going to fill it in with eternal people intimately connected. Is it possible that this poetic salvation plan is creating a significant epic culture? You said it before I got up here. An eternal people intimately connected to an epic king producing heroic deeds and miraculous events through common men and common women. That's an epic. So I think we can all agree that God is doing something of epic proportions. Yes. Yes. Alright, so tonight's question is, is God doing something of epic proportions in you? Better yet, are you willing to let God make you the epic story? The story in which you let Jesus become the hero of your circumstances. Amen. It's clear that when, um, when Brother Bill gets up <coughs> and shares his poetry with us that he's... Uh, He's carefully chosen the details of it. Amen? Yeah. It's clear that God's hand is upon him when he's doing it. Why? Because it, it produces something beautiful. And beauty comes from the Lord. So if we're working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, will you let him make poetry of it? If Israel is God's chosen people and we have been grafted in to that nation, then will you allow, will you allow God to make an epic in Israel? What I mean is if, um, if God's ecclesia, if the called out church, the body, this is who I'm talking about. Will you let God make an eternal people 
intimately connected, one life to another. What does that take? Courage. Right? Courage to let God have his way with you. When this happens, Brandon talks about this a lot. He's got a heart for this. All of a sudden, mere men start looking at you. Right? Why? They're, they're intrigued by you. What's going on in this person? Why is he so different? Why do we struggle the same, yet he walks in peace? Not at all. It's intriguing. They start to ask, where did you receive these eternal qualities, right? Sure. <clears throat> um, I think any godly man or woman in here is going to say um, yes to this. But the question is always how. How do we go from being in the story to being part of the story? Right? Our own chapter. Uh, this brings us to our text tonight, which is in Genesis 32. because I believe this shows us a literal epic in Israel. Uh, last Wednesday night, um, Natalie left off with Jacob and Leah. And uh, if you can remember, Natalie pointed out that there was uh, an epic <coughs> battle of fears. Disappointment and emotions going on uh, in the heart of Leah. And as... Uh, each one of us step up to this pulpit on Wednesday nights and on Sunday. It becomes very uh, clear that each one of us have our own divine dramas being played out in us. The only, um, the only reason any of us have anything to share is because we're, we have plenty of things we're struggling with. Um. The men and women who step up here on the pulpit are sharing intimate battles with you for your encouragement. They're trying to encourage you that what is going on um, in you is evidence that you're being saved. It's the evidence. Um, Genesis 32, 22 <coughs> says that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the... Tell me that. Jacob. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all the possessions. And then so it says, and so Jacob was left alone. Okay, so we enter the story with Jacob... In one of the most pivotal part, I guess the most pivotal times in his life, when you look at his life. 
Jacob's been separated from the inner circle of his family for over 14 years. Um, from his brother, who harbored hatred and murderous intentions towards him. For over 14 years. Um, Jacob was dwelling in, uh, I imagine, some type of depression for the, the evil that he had afforded against his brother. Um, and so now we enter Jacob's story and find him on a journey back to his family because God told him to. Told him to return <coughs> to them and uh, that he would prosper in there. Uh, Jacob, um, he starts to send droves of uh, appeasements to his brother. Uh, flocks of sheep and all these other goods to him to try to appease him because he knows there's about to come a conflict. He don't know what's going to happen. It's been a long time. Last time I see my brother, he, he wanted to kill me. Let me uh, appease him. As a matter of fact, let me keep trying to appease him. And I'll do it again and again. And so, um, Jacob finds out that his brother's coming and he's got 400 men with him, right? This ought to stir up some, some emotions, you know? Uh, apparently, Jacob didn't have 400 men with him where we just came with the battle or what. <laughs> and, um, and so, in verse 22, we find Jacob alone. And that struck me um, because... Uh, have you ever found yourself alone where you, where you were secluded? Or you've secluded yourself from everyone you know? Maybe you sinned against your brother or God. And um, before you know it, you're in a dramatic battle. And you can't figure out whether this battle is with God or with flesh. You're confused. <coughs> what happens next to Jacob has got to be one of the most ground-shaking events in his life. 32-24. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. So in the dark of the night, as Jacob's alone, he's got all these emotions going on, uh, a battle breaks out between Jacob and it says a man. But the funny thing is I thought Jacob was alone. <laughs> 25, <coughs> I'm sorry. Um, 25 through 26 says, When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that this hip for, so that his hip was wretched, and he was and he had and he spit it out as he had wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. So it seems that uh, as this battle starts, Jacob's, Jacob uh, believes he's tangling with a man. But as the night runs on, his perspective changes. Something happens in the midst of this epic event. Uh, when the man saw that he could not overcome Jacob. He touched his hip so that um, now he was handicapped. <clears throat> so the scripture says uh, they were face to face in battle. 
Alright, so if they were face to face, this would mean that um, the man's right hand would have touched Jacob's right thigh. Right? And uh, so I'm looking at right hand in the Bible, just trying to, anything I can grab on it. Um, and for everything, in a, in a general sense, for everything I studied about the right hand of the Bible points to the fact that um, that the right hand was, uh, was always the hand that delivered the intention of the man, whether good or bad. <laughs> yeah. um, the right hand always delivered man's purpose, right? Just as Jesus sits as the purpose or as the right hand of the Father, so the right hand is an intention. It's like, it's, to me, it's kind of saying that, okay, Jesus is the intention to man because he is the right hand of the Father. Okay, so um, the funny thing is, the scripture goes back and forth. And. Uh, what we see here is that um, Jacob's walk in, ends up altered uh, by this divine encounter with this man. Or was he a man? That's the question. It's always a battle. Was he a man? I mean, I got a title here that says Jacob wrestled with God. Okay. Um, so there's several takes on this, and I, I'm going to give them to you, and you can determine it. Here's an interesting one. The writers of the Jewish Tanakh believe that uh, uh, um, that Satan wasn't a fallen angel and not an enemy of God, but rather a tool used by God to test the metal of man. So it's through this perspective that they say that it is Satan that Jacob is wrestling with and that God is using Satan to make Jacob realize it, uh, to make him realize that it's none other than himself that he's battling with. <coughs> um, Not the Tanakh, Yes, sorry. This has got a. Uh, this has got got me asking this question. When we find ourselves um, alone and pressed in on every side, uh, struggling with things like fear and doubt, uh, maybe hidden sin or just simple disobedience, is seclusion the answer? No, it's never the answer. Uh, the fruit of seclusion is depression. You seclude yourself, you cut yourself from the body, depression starts to creep in quickly too. So who are, uh, who are we battling? Satan or self? Is Jacob battling Jacob? Jacob was matched on every angle. Uh, funny thing is, um, it went in, it went on all night. But this man that he was wrestling with always had the ability to touch his hip. <laughs> Yet it went on all night. <laughs> what was this man trying to uh, trying to do? Was he trying to win, or was he holding back? Was uh was this really a man at all, or was uh who was it was Jacob wrestling with? Some say it was an angel. 
a messenger from God. Some say it was God. If this is a, if these are true, then you can say that Jacob wrestled with a messenger, or even that Jacob wrestled with the message. You ever had that problem? Yeah. <laughs> I have. I lived in Louisiana, and our number one um, radio station was the station that the Swaggers put on, and um, Sun Life Radio. Some good stuff and you know some stuff. All right, and uh, God was dealing with me. I listened to Johnny Swagger for probably three years straight, just because I had a problem with him personally. Mm. But I knew that wasn't right. I knew that I needed to hear what he was saying and not how he was saying it or how I thought it should be said. And so I purposely listened to that on purpose just for that. And God dealt with me after three, it took three years to get the message. Yeah. Oh, that's a good message. <laughs> I thought you gotta work out the flesh, you know? <laughs> Okay, so if you get past the messenger, what about the message? You know, all speaking in tongues. Not for me. <laughs> Submission. <coughs> Don't touch that one. <laughs> Sex before marriage. That message is not for me. I'm just saying, right? I do not want to hear that. <laughs> These things, whether they're just for the Bible, right? <laughs> do we have the problem? Do we, do we have problem accepting the message? Yes. Yeah. Hmm? There's no doubt that we can relate to wrestling with God. That one's pretty simple. But we just all we just give it all right. It always goes right. <laughs> I'm not wrestling myself. This is God, you know. <coughs> But I think it uh, becomes very clear that Jacob is wrestling with the man who is God. The anointed one. Amen. I can't help it, but in worship tonight, so we're singing, take me to that place, Lord. Take me to that secret place where I can be with you. Where I can be changed. Is that not the picture that's painted here? Yeah. Sure Take me into your arms. What's <coughs> happening to Jacob? God has taken him into his arms. He's wrapped his arms around him. And what's Jacob do? He's struggling. <laughs> but what, what was happening inside this circle? I envision a man wrapped like this and a man wrapped like this. And so you have a circle of men going round and round and round. And what's happening in the circle is that Jacob's being changed. Yes. God's wrapped him in his arms and is changing him. So whether you find yourself in a divine battle with man, with self, with the message or the messenger, whether you end up in a divine struggle with God or with Satan, in all... You're fighting a fight with the anointed one, one way or the other. The man who is God. That's the picture here. 
Why? Because you are an epic in Israel. An eternal people must fight to stay intimately connected. Twenty-six. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name, Jacob? He answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Penel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. That's clear. The sun rose above him as he passed Penel, and he was limping because of his hip. <laughs> he walked away with a testimony. That's a good word. This, is, uh, this scripture is so back and forth to me. It goes one way, then the other. It's because they're trying to paint a broad picture. Um, you see, I, at first I thought Jacob lost because he came out handicapped. <laughs> Not only that, but his opponent named him. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It shows authority over him. But if you study it out, you'll find that Jacob, the deceiver, enters into this struggle, but hobbles out Israel, a prince of God. I don't believe um, things would have come out very well for Jacob if he would have encountered Esau. I believe it was uh, because God's divine timing that it was Israel that encountered Esau. And what followed was brotherly resurrection, yeah. restoration, new life. If you ever read um, a book called The Art of War by Sun Tzu in the 5th century, it says, um, if you know your enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the results of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not your enemy, for every victory gained, you also suffer defeat. If you know neither your enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. Verse 28 says, uh, Jacob overcame. Because, why? He knew he knew what it was to be locked in battle and what it required for him to come out victorious. How was it? Hosea 12.3 says, In the womb he grasped his brother's heel, Jacob. As a man he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and he overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. You see the two sides of the story? Repented. He found him in Bethel. The house of God? House of God. The house of God. And talked with him there. Who did he talk with? 
the Lord God Almighty. Amen. Yahweh was his name. Okay, that's pretty clear. Okay, so Jacob wrestled with God. Or he wrestled with the man who was God. It says, uh, but you must return to, to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. This was, this was conversation after the battle. That's good. I believe somewhere in the middle of the battle, <coughs> right after God humbled him by touching his hip, I believe Jacob. that's when Jacob received his new name. I always think it was after the battle, but it wasn't. Um, I believe Jacob realized what it was, what was required of him to become an overcomer, a prince of God, was submission. A total surrender to the man who was God. Uh, it's like when Jacob's hip was wrenched, he was losing, the, uh, he was losing. But this is actually the turning point in which he starts winning. Uh, have you ever feel like God has wounded you? Anybody in here? If you ever feel like God has wounded you, you got to realize that God only wounds in order to bless you. Um, his touch can be destructive. It can. It can be destructive to your flesh because he's holy. But it brings life to dry bones because he is the resurrection. The whole time Jacob is battling, he's being changed. Jacob wins because Jacob surrenders. You ever feel like when we fight the um, the fight in the flesh, you're losing the kingdom? Um, but it's when you lose the fight in the flesh that you gain it, right? That's like God saying, um, "What it takes to receive from me is a collision of wheels." That's what was happening here. So what I'm trying to say is that. I'm not telling you that when God, that when you find yourself always um, struggling with God, that disqualifies you, disqualifies you, because it uh, it it doesn't. Your faith in the blood qualifies you. Period. Here's where we get confused. We mistake defiance for devotion. Believing that because we have a relationship with Jesus, this mean this doesn't mean we have the relationship with Jesus that saves us. That's right. Defiance, confusion, <laughs> not devotion. You ever see somebody in a in a struggle like that? I love Jesus, you know, and they, they're coming all the time. They're always battling. Maybe if you look close to that fruit, it's because they've never surrendered. Ever. This is the fine spirit. Just because you're um, constantly <coughs> bringing sacrifices to the altar does not guarantee you anything. It was said here today. Obedience is better than sacrifice. It is today's best that you must bring. 
Yesterday's sacrifice is no good for today. It won't work. Can't put yesterday's sacrifice in today's altar. So, what does surrender look like for you today? Uh, in the beginning of the message tonight, I said that um, that I had to give up some rights as well as wrongs. Why? Because I was arrested. Um, so you think about it. When God arrests you, from that time on, you are under His authority. Amen? Amen. Why? Because you have surrendered to Him because of your sin. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot easier to give authority over to uh, God because of your sin, because of the effects it has on you. Oh, God, please take this sin from me. Right? Yeah. But it's not so easy to give Him authority over your rights. I'm talking about the things like uh, that may not be sin in your life. But it's just not his will for your life. Examples in people, you know, you got um, you got mega church uh, preaching women that should be housewives. They should be in the home raising up godly children instead of preaching the word. You look at it and you go, "Wow, it's a powerful preacher." You missed it. You missed it. Maybe, maybe you got a preacher that should have been a coach. Maybe you got a coach that should have been a preacher. So, if you're locked in a battle of wheels with the Lord, this is defiant. This is a defiant relationship, and it will not yield any eternal fruit in you. It's not until you surrender to His perfect will for you that you become an overcomer. Eric's been teaching Jennifer and I uh, a deeper understanding of Shalom, uh, which in a nutshell is God's perfect order in our lives, which brings what we call peace. Um, Jacob knew what it took to overcome, to receive Shalom. Even though Jacob walked away from this epic battle uh, with war wounds, <laughs> And continued to have them throughout his life. He walked away Israel. And if he walked away a prince with God. Not only did he receive shalom. But he received an authority. An authority from God. So that when the next battle came. And he found himself all alone. Maybe having to deal with uh, an enemy pressing in on all sides. Maybe a brother that wants to kill him. He did it with Shalom. Why? Because he understood that um, he was the epic. He was the story. That's what we are. We are the story of the redemption plan. One life at a time. Um, in this dynamic redemption plan, I got a big picture going on in my head. 
and I try my best to get it out. It'll take years to do that, I imagine. Um, in this dynamic redemption plan of God, it wasn't his battles that defined him, Jacob, but it was the measure in which he surrendered that made his legacy prince with God. Um, Jacob entered uh, his encounter defiant, but what he came out was devoted. He went in one way and came out the other. Changed. Amen? Um, turn to Matthew 16, 24. said to the disciples if anyone 1624 if anyone would come after me he must deny himself and take up the cross and follow me whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for me will find it what good will it be for a man who gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul or what can a man give in exchange for his soul for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what he has done what will he find us doing being defiant or, devo or devoted I want to um, personally I want him to find me being devoted I want him to, to find me submitting on a consistent basis this is what he's looking for. He's not looking for the clash of wills. Those are not sons of God. They will not inherit the kingdom. Here's the, de the definition of defiance. A daring or bold resistance to authority or to an opposing force. And devotion is a profound dedication or attachment to a cause or a person. <laughs> I mean, that's black and white. That's one or the other. They cannot. They cannot mix. Sure. <coughs> devotion is a profound dedication or attachment to a cause or a person. That's intimacy. Matthew uh, 16 says basically that self-denial brings death and death of self brings and begins devotion. Death of self begins devotion. Look at Acts 16. Good and uh, because this is where it looked at church, there should look something like that. Uh, Acts 16 16. Once, when we were going to uh, the place of prayer where we met by a slave girl. Uh, 
We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, finally Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the, ma the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailers were commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. After midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, they, suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. Okay, that's a beautiful picture. Because this is what the fruit of devotion looks like. We see it in these men. Paul and Silas knew something. They knew when the praises went up, the prison walls came down. Amen. Amen. Although um, these sons of God were in custody of the worldly authorities, they had been arrested by the Holy Ghost. Amen. <laughs> You want to walk as an eternal people, intimately connected with God? Then remember what I said at first? You're going to have to freeze, get on your knees, put your hands in the air, and surrender. Isn't that right? This should be the tale of our lives. In every area, that you haven't given. And then what happens? The world around you starts to watch you. Mm -hmm. Sing songs of praises. And then they want to sing your songs. Mm -hmm. You become infectious. And they want to turn. They become envious. And then they want to know. This is a drawing. Jesus said if I be lifted up, I will draw in me. And that's what we're doing. When we submit to his way and his order in our life, in each and every facet, it turns one more eye towards you. And in doing so, then you draw in others too. Right? So, if anybody, or I would ask anybody in here, are you willing to become an epic in Israel? An epic within God's chosen people? A dramatic life change story. How do you do that? 
for putting yourself in other people's circumstances, right? Somebody's hurting. Somebody's in need. Somebody's in want. Then you suffer some for their better than Amen? I hope that you've never had the experience in the natural that if you were in the Holy Ghost, if you are born of God, you've definitely had this experience in the supernatural. If what our brother has taught us about arrested, get on your knees, raise your hands, and follow my commands, and you can see that born out in the Spirit. The next part is even more unpleasant to the flesh. When they bring you to a house of incarceration, do they just throw you in? Why don't y'all stand on your feet? Now what do they tell you? Spread your legs. Put your hands on the wall. Then they begin removing articles of clothing from you. How embarrassing is that? You can get to a place where you are naked. They tell you to cough. They pull up flashlights. How uncomfortable is that? You don't just get arrested, you get strip searched. Why do you do that if you're the authority? You want to make sure this person doesn't have a single deadly harmful thing on them that would hurt them or anyone else? So that you can begin the process of rehabilitation. Sometimes in the kingdom, you don't just get arrested. In the process of a strip search. This is what discipleship's about. And then you begin the process of rehabilitation. And to be rehabilitated, you have to know where your weakness is and where God's strength is. You have to know where you end. You have to know where he begins. That wrestling is really more like a dance in some regards. As Mike said, he could have overcome him any time. You test him at the end of the evening, you could have tested him at the beginning of the evening. I found out God wrestles because he wants to know us through experience with us. Isn't that something? In fact, Mike inspired me. I'm going to preach on that Sunday. There are six very distinct things that God does. They may bear and they're all found in that story. And it's how he knows us and we know him. I enjoyed the epic tonight. I more than enjoyed it. I don't think good preaching is good entertainment. I think it is something that will step on your toes, something that will inspire you, something that will convict you, and something that will encourage you. And I got all of those things. I don't know whether you know it, but Acts 16 is what began this ministry. Right? So I relate to that in a really personal way. Uh, I encourage you to go get arrested. I encourage you to examine your life and see whether or not you're truly devoted or if your relationship with Jesus is only Him spanking you. Because that's defiance. I want to tell you, I know most of you very well. Some of you are in the first category and not the last. That's difficult. The good news is you don't have to stay there. You don't. 
Your relationship with Jesus does not have to be about Him spanking you. It can be more about Him leading you. And you make that choice every day. Last bit of encouragement I have for you, because I know it's late, but it's worth it. It's if you would not describe yourself as intimately connected to all the people in this room, you're failing in your primary function in this church. Your primary function in this church is to connect with the people around you. It is. We all make exceptions here and there. There are times in our lives we have to focus on certain things. But don't get to the end of this epic and find out that you were a minor character. The way that you develop characters in a movie or in a book or anything else is through their interaction with other people. That's actually called character development in movie scripts. It's how they have depth. And it's the same way you get depth. Amen? Amen. I think somebody else can say all the hard things. Yeah. It's good, Mike. You can preach anytime, brother. Y'all love the Lord? Yeah. Yes. Be careful on the icy roads on the way home. We don't want to backslide. <laughs> Bring somebody Sunday. Uh, Mike inspired me. I have, I have something that will preach Sunday. And it will more than preach. It will change lives if we do it. Amen? Yeah. Let's pray. Mighty God, we thank you for this powerful word. Lord, what proceeds from your mouth brings life. And we must learn to live upon it. Lord God, I ask that you would bring these words to remembrance in the moments of our greatest need. Lord, that you would experience us and we would experience you as we wrestle. Lord, that it would result in a name change. Lord, that the end of this epic story would be a life happily ever after in the kingdom with You. Lord, we ask that You would give us the courage to wrestle now, that we might be at peace then. We love You, Holy God. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.